Hey there, Skips and Skipperettes from all across the wild and untamed electronic wasteland known only as Internet Land. Welcome back to Tales from the Jungle Cruise. So how is it November already? Uh, it seems like this year has just whizzed by. I know we've had some sparse updates through October, uh, but it's a tough time of year for us to still line up interviews. You know, that whole holidays are for family stuff uh, happened the last couple of years as well. Still, I think we're back on track at least through the end of 2014. Now, we're chugging right along with our fourth season, and we just had our best month of downloads ever. Thanks a bunch for that, and welcome to all the new listeners. Remember to go back in time and listen to some of the older episodes as well. There's a listener guide on our webpage. That's at junglecruise.podbean.com, and you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash junglecruise. Uh, we're always looking for more skips to share their stories, particularly Walt Disney World skippers. So just email us at junglecruise, C-R-E-W-S, at gmail.com and say hi. Now today's interview is the first of a two-parter with skipper Matt Liker. Matt was at Disneyland from uh, about 90 to 96, and his enthusiasm for Disney is obvious, even nearly 20 years later. He has some interesting perspectives on life at Disney, and we get to chat about that, and some of the incredible art he's created, well... In part two, we talk about that, so uh, stick around for that. Uh, Matt came highly recommended to me by a couple of other skips, and he did not disappoint. This is also the first of our recent Skype sessions that we've had in a while, and we have uh, think we fixed all the Skype audio issues. Let us know how you like it. We'll probably be doing more of these as time goes on. So here we go, everyone. Season 4, Episode 8, The Art of Being a Skipper with Skipper Matt Liker. Kungaloosh, everyone. If you've heard the show, you know I'm not much for grand entrances. Uh, so no, we just... no, it's, it's fantastic, and I love the song that you used too. That that version, it just kills me every time I hear that guy. Well, you know the other thing. I guess we'll we'll roll into it, everyone. Uh, yeah, we started off the podcast "Tales from the Jungle." There's a good there's a good entry point in there, so I'll just use that. Um, okay. We are uh, chatting uh, this week. This very delayed week for those of you who are in real chronological time. I'll get into that in a second. Uh, Skipper Matt Liker uh, is joining us from the wilds of Spokane, Washington, uh, which is a terrifying and horrible place uh, filled with, uh, you know, hippopotamus and another. I could see why you went up there. It's just like the Jungle Cruise. Um, Exactly. And I'm trying to pull. um, I've got your notes here. So you were you were early '90s, is what you were saying. Yeah, I hired in in 1990, in spring of '90. Okay, and then just as a quick, and then you were there until uh, I'm peeking my notes. I was there till late '96, uh, about the end of '96, so okay. just shy of seven years. Yeah, and that's and that was definitely a good time. We've had a lot of people on during that during that era. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, let's uh, real real quick for people who don't know. For about two seasons, I actually varied up the opening song every single uh, episode, and there's uh, there's probably okay. fifteen different versions of "Welcome to the Jungle," and 
there, there, some of them are great. Um, some of them are not so great, but they're kind of fun. But I got a C and D. I got a cease and desist order from one of the musicians. <laughs> so I actually had to take one episode down and go through and and reset everything and uh, change that particular song out. And I'm actually legally not allowed to say who it was. It was part of the settlement. So uh, oh, wow. that's always fun stuff. No, the. Uh, uh, there are some great, great versions of Welcome to the Jungle. Uh, if you go on Spotify and just type that in, there's probably 20 different versions of the song. Oh, wow. Uh, and yeah, that I also, one you use on the, with, with the guy's voice uh, when he starts howling, it just cracks me up every time. I, I actually listened to a couple more episodes today as I was getting the uh, sort of the juices flowing, the memory lane type stuff. And uh, each time it came on, I just started laughing. I, I know it's a great, and I, I I can't play the full version of it because of rights management. Um, yeah, you know, even the snippet is uh, we we do what we can with that. But uh, I, there is another version that I think I put most of the full version on. That's by a different band. It was like an Irish pub band that did a version of that that was just amazing so uh i might i'll go back in my show notes and i'll try to find out which one that is but there's some if you if people dig back in i think mostly season two early season three uh there's probably 15 different versions of that so even if people don't know a particular era of skippers or they don't recognize a name uh jump back because there's there's always fun stuff back in the archives so no, you were yeah, saying you listened. What were some of the episodes that you uh, that you picked up on uh, the last couple well, of days? Well, obviously the uh, the interesting ones to me initially are the ones with uh, people that I knew. So I've listened to uh, Laura Huff and Subi and Tim, and uh, then today I listened to uh, Chris Lambert and uh, Grant and um, and also Jim Best and uh, Jerry Whitfield. Those are all people that I worked with. So it was yeah. kind of cool to uh, to relive that, you know, and hear hear their stories and stuff. You know, it's interesting that. Um, the the uh, episode with um, with Grant and with um, Chris Lamberth was really a strange one for me because I had kind of out of nowhere posted on Craigslist that I was doing this. Yeah, I don't know how Chris found it, but it was I was you know probably three or four months after I had started doing this, and uh, Chris just emailed me out of the blue, and we were able to get together and tape. And it was the first uh, time that I had gone out of the era of people that I knew specifically. And that led me to James Greathouse and, you know, and eventually just down the road to everyone else that I've interviewed. So I always feel really grateful to Chris, uh, particularly because uh, he really went out of his way to make sure I had contacts with people after uh, taping with us. Yeah, he's always had that uh, that ability. That's one thing I remember about him. He, he's, always, he's a, he's uh, a charming guy. On the pulse and- yeah. And knowing what everybody's doing and where everybody's at, and and honestly, any of the old gang and all of that, that you know, from that era that, that we all worked together in Jungle, um, he's the guy to ask. You know, hey, where's so and so? He knows. You know, he knows exactly where everybody's at and what they're doing. So, well, and you know, it's interesting. Yeah. I'm just going to double check my date on this because I want to see what that was. Uh, November 2011. So that was three years ago. This week. Uh, was my first interview with uh, with him, and I really need to just sit down again because there's so many. Uh, I mean, so much has happened since then that I I would love to chat with him about. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah. So no, it's it's we've had a lot of fun. Um, I try not to to do too much of the the tooting my own horn thing because this is I don't make any money. I don't you know it's just uh, a good time for me to to reminisce and chat with people and. Uh, Part of the reason I wanted to have you on the show, Matt, was because uh, uh, both Laura and Sue have had mentioned you in the past. 
Uh, they said that you are a, a very personality filled cat that you definitely have uh, a good good fun stories and that you were a, a really fun guy to work with and uh, as I dug around a lot of people said you were a lot of fun to, uh, to to work with so that was a good glowing recommendation well that's great I'm grateful to them for uh, putting the word out I'm glad that uh, that uh, people seem to hold that memory of me so that's, yeah, well, uh, that's let, gratifying yeah let's get a little bit into it so your first your first attraction it says uh, so you were there during the 35th anniversary in 90 is that right yeah, yeah, I hired in, and uh, and I was uh, from Northern California. Um, that's where I grew up, and so it, it was. Um, I wasn't a local, but I really wanted to work there. You know, it's just one of those things. So I want to work at Disneyland. Let's try it out. And um, and I uh, had taken a trip down. I think uh, right after New Year's of that year, uh, just a quick weekend trip with a buddy, and and I thought um, it was it was kind of a last minute thing, like. Oh, what the heck? Let's let's make that left into Harbor House and uh, go pick up an application. I mean, I didn't even know if I could get in to get an application. I didn't know what the process was. Sure. But I knew that that parking lot looks pretty intimidating, you know, for security <laughs> guards uh, and everything. And uh, so I went in there and kind of was like, oh, "Sir, where do I go?" You know. And he was he was cool and he showed me, you know, where to go. And I picked up the application. I took it back home with me and I just sent it off in the mail, you know, kind of thinking like, "Yeah, whatever," you know. I'm sure, I'll hear something. And uh, lo and behold, a few months later, I get this card in the mail. Hey, I'd like to interview you for a cast. So I'm thinking, like, wow, this is awesome, you know. And then the next thing is reality hits like, wait a minute, I don't even live down there. What You know, working there is going to entail so much more than just getting hired. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> little and things. I happen to, yeah, exactly, little things like, you know, food and car and home. You know, how how's that going to happen? But, um, it you know, all the planets lined up. And at that time in my life, I suddenly I met this guy who I was, uh, in class with it at a community college up there, and he's like, "Yeah, I, I'm actually going down for an interview." You know, and I don't know how I even met this guy, just, um, but he was in the same class as me, and he was taking a pop culture history class, and and he goes, "Yeah, you can hitch a ride with me if you try to set up an interview," and you know, and so I did that, got hired, and came back for spring break again. So you know, the gas money was was going through the roof, uh, you know, to make these this 394 mile trip from. Uh, the San Francisco Bay Area down to Anaheim repeatedly that year. You know, once to get hired, once to go back for orientation, and another time to go back and work for spring break and then to come back down again for the summer. And uh but it was a blast, you know, I mean it was I was you know, at the time it was it was what I wanted to be doing and it was um it was a lot of fun. I really didn't care. As long as I could make enough to buy groceries and pay the rent on the place I was renting, you know, I was thrilled to be doing it. So, well, that that's devotion. Um, I, I don't think I've heard many stories about people who are uh, willing to to make that kind of sacrifice and do that back and forth and uh, with that range. I'm sure there were lots of people, but uh, that's yeah, definitely well, a big you know, commitment. The thing is, here's a big confession that maybe a lot of people that worked with me didn't know, and um, and some of them did. Some of my clo- real close friends, uh, but I'm I was a big I was just a huge still am just a huge geek on Disneyland man. Loved it. Loved the Walt era. Was just totally fascinated with it ever since I was like, you know, 10 or something. And a big part of that was, you know, living far away. Um, you know, it, it was, it was kind of like, uh, this, um, magical place, you know, that, that wasn't near me. And there was nothing even similar where I grew up that was, that was like the Disneyland experience. So my family would, uh, you know, we'd do sort of the standard all American, um, vacation, you know, pile into the car 
make the long trip down, drive through the middle of nowhere, you know, um, and then you get to the grapevine, you know, you're getting closer, and then you see Magic Mountain, and you get really excited because, you know, you're getting closer. And, you know, we'd go and we'd stay in those tacky hotels that surrounded the park, like the Stovall's Inn of Tomorrow and, and those kind of places, and just have that whole experience. Swim in the pools, go to Disneyland. Disneyland, of course, being the crown jewel on the whole trip. But that, you know, we did a lot of those when I was a little kid in the 70s, and they just uh, had such an impact on me. Um, I didn't know it at the time, but it was just, it was like it was just a uh, really, um, you know, seared itself into my brain and uh, really got me just kind of loving loving that experience as a kid. And I, it just stayed with me, you know, all the way up until my 20s where I suddenly found myself with the uh, with the means to kind of suddenly, you know, work there. And, and Follow the dream. At least, at least see what, at least put the toe in the water and see what it was like. Was yeah, there... yeah, and that's all I thought I was going to do. I really only expected to work there for a season. I thought, I'm going to work here for the summer, but I live in the Bay Area, and that's that, you know. And, and I had so much fun that summer that I went back and um, went back to school. I was still finishing that up, or at least, you know, going to a community college, just kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And um, and I ended up coming back, working Christmas, uh, and then going back again, and then working <laughs> the next spring break. And then finally, in the, spring, in the uh, summer of 91, I moved down and stayed permanently, and uh, and so yeah. Then from then on, it was you know I just was a, a regular employee there, just trying to scrape up shifts and hours as best I could. Yeah. Now, do you have from the the time that you came down with your family during the seventies, uh, and we've had some skips during the seventies, quite uh, three or four now that that worked in the sixties and seventies. But were there any attractions that, as a young kid, that really stuck with you? Like when you when you kind of look back, uh, you know, were there things? And I'm not, I'm not doing this to pander for Jungle, you know, as a reference, but mm-hmm. you know, for me, like you know, going on uh, when I was nine, I went there, and you know, it was um, uh, you know, Journey to Inner Space, and you know, Mission to Mars, and all the Tomorrowland stuff was just gigantic for me. Uh, what was what was the thing that stuck with you? What was the thing that you really uh, really took, and it kind of you know stayed with you well it, it um it was you know it was the whole thing but the the things that stick out of my mind is um it actually blows my mind that i i can i tell this to my mom and she doesn't i don't think she believes me but i can remember my first trip i ever made there was when i was three i can remember riding in a stroller up main street and um and then i you know i can actually remember that same trip i can remember riding small world and i can remember riding pirates and totally thinking it was like this is this is real this is reality you know i didn't even know what a pirate was but i knew that that guy up there waving the sword you know was real or at least that's what you know my three-year-old self thought but i can remember that i can actually remember that visit hmm. and um and then you know getting a little bit older and then inner space and all of that but uh i can remember jungle scaring the heck out of me on that very first trip as well because uh they had a gorilla that um, used to just kind of, when you look at old footage on like Disney specials and stuff, every once in a while it'll pop up on the really old, you know, Wonderful World of Disney type mm-hmm. shows that used to air at like 3 a.m. on the Disney Channel. Um, you'd see this gorilla that was kind of, I, I found out it was located, I think, pretty much where like the Skull Canoe is or somewhere right around there. And it would just kind of like bob up and down. It would kind of like squat on its knees and come back up. And uh, it wasn't very convincing looking when I saw it years later. But when I was a kid seeing that, for some reason, that gorilla just uh scared the hell out of me and uh, stuck with me you know and um so yeah and i can remember you know the smell of, of the jungle cruise and and all of that there's um for some reason the disneyland you know the the smells there's you can encounter smells there i mean you can insert whatever kind of joke you want but but truly you can this, these attractions like pirates and the matterhorn and small world you can talk about the smell 
And anybody that's been there knows exactly what you're talking about. It's like this. Uh, and, and besides, I mean, every area. I mean, uh, you know, the big one that people talk about is Main Street because between, uh, you know, the the scent of vanilla and fresh baked goods that they they now pump out a little bit. Uh, and they've tried yeah. to establish that at, at California Adventure as well. But when they they opened, it was coffee, and it was hmm. this. They would pump the smell of coffee out because of the uh, the train car that they had there, and that now has become the Starbucks. So that was hmm. their their big push. Is they wanted the smell of coffee because that would be a really refreshing, energizing smell in the mornings. Yeah, I don't even know that these were intentional things. I mean, you know. Um... Matterhorn and Pirates, it's almost kind of a mildew in Corey. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, there, there is, and, especially Pirates, definitely, because it's, it's the water mixing with all of the... Yeah, yeah exactly. But it's but it's wonderful, because you smell it, and it's Pirates, and, it, and yeah. suddenly your brain starts firing on everything that you remember about Pirates of the Caribbean and all of that. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a fantastic thing. Um, I, I think yeah, Mansion, you know, I I think mean, Mansion was, was that way. I think Mansion was yeah, that yeah. way before not before the uh, Mansion Holiday, because now I think they disturb it a lot more, so there's a lot less of that smell. Yeah. See, I don't know. I've never. I've I've only seen that Mansion Holiday thing, uh, like on the Nightmare Before Christmas DVD extras yeah, and that kind of, yeah. you know, pictures on the web and stuff. I have. I've never been there while it's running. I've never been there in the winter, so I I miss that thing every year. But uh, yeah, Mansion had that great kind of smell too until it until it would rain. And uh, I worked mansion, and if you were in the foyer, and that carpet starts getting wet from everybody walking in, oh my gosh, it just smelled like a big wet dog in there, and it was horrible. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, otherwise it was yeah, it was the same kind of great thing. It was just that that classic sort of uh, Disneyland smell. But um, yeah, to, to get back to what you were saying, all of it, man. When I was a little kid, it just burned itself into my brain. It made a huge impression on me, and it was something I took with me to into my 20s when I suddenly had the desire to want to work there. And then even now, years later, you know, I've been gone from that place for almost 20 years, but um, it influences my art hugely. Um, you know, if you look at some of that, it's a lot of it's just based on the sort of the uh, roadside Americana, yeah, and the we'll American vacation we'll, experience. Yeah, and we'll definitely hit the art thing a little bit deeper, uh, a little bit a little bit later on, because uh, I do want to mm-hmm. definitely get into it. And really, cause it's, it's, a, it's a big topic for me. Uh, and I think it's going to tie in really nicely. I, I find it interesting that the attraction that you finally started on was not one that was around when you when you started. I mean, it was, uh, you know, Big Thunder was, I guess it would, it would have started on later visits, but uh, it wasn't one of the classic yeah. early ones for you, probably. Yeah, well, it was. Uh, it made an impression on me in 79 when I wrote it for the first time, that's yeah. for sure. Because I expected it to be a lot more mellow. And I remember as a kid kind of going, wow, that was actually pretty intense. But uh, the ride that I got trained on first was actually the Mark Twain. And um, it was uh, it was during spring break of 90, and I guess that's where they wanted me. Yep. And um, I, ex- I fully expected, you know, when they hired me, they said, okay, well, you're going to be in Adventureland, Frontierland. And um, those areas, like it wasn't just West Side Attractions back then. It was actually Adventureland, Frontierland. And so, uh, you know, I fully expected to be put on Jungle, but I guess they needed me at Twain, and they needed a body at Twain. So that's where they trained me, and I ended up working that whole spring break there. And then I thought, well, then I'm going to be on Jungle all summer. And lo and behold, um, you know, they needed people on Thunder, and I guess I was just kind of in the right place at the right time with my with a buddy of mine. And, and Jan, our scheduler uh, at the time, says, yeah, I'll train you guys on, on Thunder if you'll take it seriously. And, you know, because we were new, I guess the mentality back then was that you kind of had to earn the right to work on Sunday. There's, just, you know, there's multi-turn trains moving quickly, and they, you know, I guess they generally don't want to throw brand new people on there. 
Well, yeah, um, I think I think all the coasters are that way. I know I know that there's not yeah. any of the coasters that are are new hire attractions. Uh, yeah. They're they're all cross trained. So once you've been there and understand, you know, e stops and safety and procedure, that's when they want to put you on things when they know you can handle it. Yeah. So I worked that first summer on uh, Thunder. Got trained there, and it, it was like a three day training. And uh, I don't know what it is now. I, I know I I'd heard it went down to like one day for a long time, but I think that was kind of during the dark dark period. Um, but uh, you know, I uh, worked that I worked that ride during that summer. But I got a guest complaint like my third shift, second or third shift, and I was like, oh great, somebody. Uh, I was grouping, and I was kind of stressed, you know, because I was new at this, and and it was busy, and uh, and a, a couple. I remember a man and a woman, an older man and woman. They uh, they had misinterpreted something I, I'd said about getting into the train. I think they thought I was being sarcastic. And so the next day I get called over to the, you know, up into the uh, supervisor's office. And I don't even know any of these people because I'm brand new. And, uh, you know, he sits me down and um, the guy at the time, and he said, you know, he says, let me tell you about Disneyland. We've been here 35 years, but he just goes into this big old spiel. And I feel like I'm about two inches tall. and thinking like, you see, this is going to end with me just getting fired. Like, grab your things and get out of here. And, uh, you know, I was just really sweating it. But as it turned out, you know, they let me stay. I didn't realize you could get multiple infractions, and that was really the only one I ever got the whole time I worked there. Yeah. But um, you know, having it having it happen like you know my second and third shift in uh, didn't really uh, bode well. You know, it was. Uh, but I, I, I think, think it was a bad omen. I think if everyone had a dollar for all the times that a guest uh, took something that was said in an offhand way and went down to city hall, I mean it's. Uh, you know, it's the, the nature of the situation is that there's noise and there's stress and guess IQs drop by 20 or 30 points the second they walk (laughs) in the gate. Uh, so yeah, Yeah. that, those are the things that are, that are light and kind of easy. So when that early, that, that first summer that you were working through when you kind of finished up that run and, uh, obviously seasonal at that point, um, did you were you waiting for the phone call for the next side of it, or I mean, was it was it a, a slam dunk for you that you wanted to come back down? Well, every time I, I it was like I was trying to refigure out, like okay, so how am I going to set up my living situation and this and that, you know, and and actually pay rent and make a living at doing this, you know, for peanuts because it was you know they pay you peanuts down there. I mean, especially as a back then it was called CT casual temporary. And um, I don't know what they call it now. I'm sure there's all kinds of new acronyms that, you know, I would be familiar with. But uh, that was a seasonal employee back then. And, um, you know, I was just trying to figure out, can I make this work? And uh, I was in a community college. I wanted to tie up, you know, at least tie up the loose ends with that. So I got my AA degree. And uh, when I, once I finally kind of, you know, finished that up properly, and, uh, I decided to make the move down permanently, which was in uh, the spring of 91. And... Um, and so, yeah, then it was, you know, more thunder. And then finally in the fall, they got me trained on jungle. Now, um, uh, now back at the time when you were going through that and doing the community, call, had, had you already had a little bit of a bite of the art bug at that point? Had you always had, uh, you know, the artistic? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it's funny because I, I, it was totally naive. But I mean, like I, you know, at the time that I hired in, I thought, you know, and this was a guy looking at, the Walt Disney Company from 400 miles away, and this is pre-internet and everything. So you really, you kind of had to guess a lot about like how 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 can you get in? How can you make this work? But I, I somehow thought that um, you know working at Disneyland, I guess the same way like some guys think like working Jungle Cruise is going to be a step to being an actor or something like that. You know, yeah. I guess it worked for Kevin Costner, but you know, 
But a lot of guys, you know, there's that weird out parody and everything. But I, I kind of thought the same thing, but only with artwork. I thought, well, you know, if I worked in the park, perhaps it could be a connection to, you know, one of the art departments later on. And, um, you know, so, yeah, the interest was definitely there. I mean, that was what I wanted to do for years and years. And, um, you know, I grew up loving the animation and all of that. And I wasn't 100% committed to uh, to wanting to uh, be an animator, but... Um, you know, I really had no idea how to go about it. And, um, you know, Imagineering seemed awesome to me and a million other guys uh, that worked there. And, um, you know, there's always a group of guys at Disneyland who wanted to be Imagineers. And, and a couple of them ended up doing it. I kind of, from, uh, from I, I don't know, the era that I was in, a couple of those guys, I guess, actually did end up in Imagineering. No, no, but, no, no um, absolutely. You know, that really uh, appealed to me, um, you know, but I didn't have the formal training. You know, I didn't have... College was a tough thing for me because it was uh, I was always I was paying my own way all the time and I didn't have any special outlets money wise and I didn't want to go into debt with student loan I always felt like my situation was a little too precarious to take something like that on so it was just you know I'd scrounge up money and take a class whenever I could here and there and I you know who work jungle during the evening or you know uh, or thunder and uh, during the day I'd be over at Cal State Fullerton and take a, a life drawing class or a, you know a 3D design class or something like that. So then, uh, you know, that was ninety when you when you got back on the ninety one side of things. Was that that was the uh, the era where you started off on the jungle side? What was the what was the the opportunity for you when you when you finally kind of were handed the chance to go over and cross train at Jungle? Well, I was uh, I was excited because I you know I, it was almost like delayed gratification. You know, when you're a new guy and you hire it, you want to work Jungle, especially if you know you've been hired for that position. And, and I love I love the spirit of that ride anyway. I was. You know, goofball and, uh, you know, love to, to uh, make wisecracks and all that. The same thing that attracts all the guys and, and now, you know, women that work there too. It's that it attracts a certain kind of personality, I think, and I, and I fit that mold. And uh, so it, while I was enjoying Thunder and Parade Guest Control and uh, the Mark Twain, um, you know, I was itching to get over there. So it finally happened. And I got trained, and I, it was like two weeks later, the ride went down for like a two- or three-month rehab. I mean, like all the way to about Christmas Eve, I think, it was down. So there was a lot more waiting. And, and then finally, after the New Year, I was able to just scrounge shifts. And I, and I, would, um, I had almost no seniority. And, you know, it was um, – so I, would, I made a flyer, and I would actually put it up in the break areas and stuff and just, you know, send me your shifts, you know. And so I'd have people calling me every day. So, you know, that people that wanted to ER, people that wanted a day off or whatever, just A's and B's, um, you know, saying, hey, I got a jungle shift tomorrow, 10 to 6. Great, I'll take it. So I was, I just, I was full-time employee, but it was just from hustling, you know, just from putting up this flyer and making it happen, you know. You know, the thing that I've, that I've noticed, both with talking with people and my own experience, though, is the people who hustled uh, usually were the people who management took note of and not only started funneling hours, but they usually wound up in, in roles of responsibility because they saw that they were willing to go to those uh, extents to actually do it. Yeah, yeah, perhaps. I, I You know, it, it sort of, everything kind of snowballed, and, and may, that may have been the catalyst. Um, you may be correct there. Uh, I didn't have a real strong desire to be in charge of people or anything like that, but... Um, I was uh, I was fascinated by you know all aspects of the job and so if an opportunity came my way, I usually was going to jump at it and so you know a couple of years later it was he was being a trainer on Jungle and then later on being a lead and then I I was a trainer and a lead in a lot of different attractions, but um, 
yeah, I, you know, Jungle was the first. I was, uh, I think it was finally late spring of 93, they made me a trainer. And um, and I enjoyed it. I, I really liked that because um, one aspect I really liked, and, and I'm sure it was lost on a lot of guys that trained, it was just like, yeah, whatever, okay, well. Uh, you know, I kind of like, I, it, rather than just saying, okay, so you get in the boat and you tell the jokes and then they leave. I would kind of, I like to kind of build up the history of the attraction, you know, I guess like, then there's the geek side coming in, but you know, so here's what it's all about. Here's what they were trying to do when they built this thing. Here's what, here's what influenced it, you know, and, um, you know, here's this guy, Harper Goff that, you know, sort of designed the look of it based on African Queen. And so, you know, all the things I learned from those books, you know, growing up as a kid, there was like three or four Disney books that were kind of like the Bible that you go to, like Disneyland Inside Story by Randy Bright. There was a few others, but, um, you know, I read those things just cover to cover, so I knew this stuff. And I would try to put that kind of in the training, you know, so, so it would, people had some kind of frame of reference, whether they cared or not. You know, I'm sure, it, like I said, I'm sure it was lost on, on a lot of ears, but uh, some people dug it, you know. Well, and, you know, and you, I had, you, make it fun. you had people who were coming there. I mean, uh, for some people, it was just a job. They were just cashing a paycheck, and it was a place to work. And it wasn't all people who, you know, were were serious Disney people. Um, and even today, it's the same way. I mean, it's, there's so many people working there. You know, there are people there who didn't grow up on Disney or who just were from Orange County uh, to get jobs mm-hmm. there. But then you did have the people who had it in their blood and really, you know, knew the details coming in. So it's good for the people who um, who maybe didn't have that background for the trainers uh, to really be able to get into that because there is such a deep backstory and history that it, it really makes a difference when you uh, when you have those discussions. Oh yeah, it was it was rich, and and I and I was familiar with it going in, even as even in my early twenties. It was it was something I was genuinely interested in. So um, I would just try to kind of you know put that into the training and um, and make it fun. And I did that on you know like on Thunder and stuff too. And um, not that there's a big history there, but you know I I we always did it. I'd always try to incorporate some kind of uh, part of the training to be like you know exploring, like going to different parts of the attraction, you know, like, uh, in Thunder. Um, I never had anybody tell me that I shouldn't do this, so I would just do it. But like, I'd have my trainees, we'd climb all the way up to the top of the peak and pop the roof, you know, and, and look out the top of the thing, you know, and, um, most people enjoyed that. Some people kind of freaked out, like, I don't want to go, you know, cause you kind of had to spider walk at the last few ways. But on Jungle 2, you know, we'd go out there and we'd go exploring around and it was, this was all pre 9-11. So you really could go around anywhere you wanted. Yeah. And, um, and I don't know if you remember, did you ever, when you were working there, did you ever go into the, uh, you know, the elephant bathing pool and there's that one that's taking a bath? Uh, the, you in mean the Bertha's Bert, Bert cave behind? Uh... Yeah, Bertha. Now you go inside of there and it's like a little workbench workshop area. Uh, yeah, no, I, well, it's interesting because during my era there, uh, there were very few people who really got to have the safari experience because management didn't want regular CMs out there doing uh, anything during the day. It was a very restrictive area. I actually, uh, uh-huh. up until my, uh, I was actually there at Disney for three different uh, employment periods. The end of my second, on the last day, the the lead actually took me out and uh, gave me the full tour of, uh, of Bertha's Cave. And then there's the, um, the Elvis on the back of the giraffe, the Elvis spot on the giraffe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, there that's, was. Just, so that's crazy. So it was your last. It was like your last shift. You finally got to go out. And, it was. Uh, yeah, I got got my safari on my last day. That's crazy. I mean, like, because I, I just think about like you know you'd um, you'd walk down. This was pre indie, but you know you'd, you'd go through those side doors on the pirates queue and you'd walk down this 
this kind of hill, and um, and then it was like you make a right to go to the uh, the diner, or you make a left, and you can just walk right out on the African Veld. Now, if you're an idiot, you know boats are going to see you and stuff, and people are going to complain. The next thing you know, uh, you know security or management is coming is going to be looking for the fool that's walking around in the middle of the day. But you could, if you wanted to go around and be stealthy and sneak around, you know, and not to do anything bad, but just to check it out, as long as you stayed out of view, nobody really cared that you were out there. Well, and, I, and um, I actually, I actually think it's a valuable set of skills for you know to have i mean it, some people make the argument unless you're a leader or a trainer you don't need to know how everything works or where all the you know the animatronics are you know where all the yeah. things are out there but i i think that there's um a sense of ownership and perspective that comes when a, a cast member gets to see those things yeah yeah definitely i love going out. i mean that was gosh uh, that was a huge part of the job for me that i just absolutely loved that was like almost better than a paycheck I say almost, but I mean it was up there. Um, well, was, at, at, at that the, age, there's nothing better than a paycheck. Besides, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. maybe maybe well, a date I, every uh, once in a while. Yeah, well, um, you know, getting to explore the park, to explore the different areas, whether it was jungle. Um, I was going to say, I'll finish what I was saying first. In that Bertha cave, there was um, there's that workbench area, and the, I don't know if you noticed there was uh, like an artist, uh, somebody was an armchair artist or um, doing it in their spare time, probably a maintenance guy had painted like blue and Mowgli on these cupboards. And, uh, you know, I just discovered that by accident. And, um, I just thought it was the coolest thing, you know, that somebody's out there painting this great jungle book mural, you know, right inside the, the cave there. Um, but you know, with the other parts of the park too, you know, I just would love anytime there was an opportunity to explore. I was, I was there, man. I was, uh, you know, um, there was a boneyard back behind Small World. I, I'm sure that's all gone now. Mm-hmm. But you could go back there and you could see old ride vehicles and stuff sitting around and just old signs had discarded and, you know, just look through it and all of that. And we got a lot of opportunity to do that when Phantasmic was getting ready to open in 92. There was a handful of us that got picked to uh, drive the boats. Um, obviously, the Mark Twain, you don't drive, but um, we were a lookout on Mark Twain. And then you would actually have to drive the Columbia. But uh, there was only a handful of us, um, just a few guys, and so they were doing these rehearsals as the show was gearing up to premiere. And because of union rules, I mean, we were the only ones that could operate the boats, and so uh, they had to have us there. And it was like free money because really they they would you know they'd run a show and then they'd park the boat, and the dancers would you know go over their bits over and over and over again. They and and the uh, people in charge of the show would basically turn us loose and say, look, we'll call you on the radio if we need you. So we're on the clock, we're getting paid. And we just, we take off, man, and we went, to, you know, poking through all the rides and everything. And it wasn't to get into trouble. I want to clarify that. We weren't up to no good. But it was uh, it was just to check it out, just to explore, kind of, you know, behind the curtain, how do they do it kind of stuff. And we went through Pirates. We went through uh, Mansion. You know, all the rides we didn't work. And, um, you know, all of that. It was just, it was just a total joy. When I look back, that really was what I, what I missed the most is just those kind of quiet, hours where you could really explore around and, and check things out. Well, I think it's and, one of the uh, things... kind of soak up the history and the atmosphere that you don't get in the daytime when, when there's people buzzing around everywhere and that kind of thing. I, I think it's one of the smart things that management does now, uh, and it has like the last 15 years, um, is they make sure that, maybe before that, I don't, I don't know particularly, uh, but they make sure that there are kind of guided tours through the operations of other attractions that the people don't know. So, you know, I got a chance mm-hmm. to go do a walkthrough through, uh, through Mansion and Pirates, and I actually got to see a lot of the other rides, which kind of made it so I didn't have that curiosity to go do it by myself. 
because um, yeah, I yeah, got to have maybe. the guided tour. So that was that was nice, and I think it was smart of them to do that because it keeps people from, uh, you know, exhibiting their own curiosity in in ways they maybe they shouldn't. Yeah, and we uh, we definitely did. I mean, but it was like it was all um, an appreciation. It wasn't mischief, but I want to clarify that for sure. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, it was just just look, don't touch. But really, just you know, checking it out and 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 examining things. And uh, but usually there were you know there was other people that uh, kind of you know were kind of wowed by the whole thing, um, just like I was. You know, and um, so I really really enjoyed that. The coolest thing. I think I ever discovered, I say discovered, but I mean, it was there and people were using it every day, but I never knew it was there was, um, the, we were wandering around star tours and it was closed and we opened a door and it was a stock room for the uh, star trader. But the stock room, when I looked at the walls, I realized it was the old unload area for the adventure through interspace <laughs> pretty much intact. And yeah. it blew my mind because you could see the mahogany railing, you could see the curve, of where the turntable would kind of unload the the Omnimover, you know, the people would get out. And then there was the, the holes in the walls. They had the display, the Monsanto displays. And they, all that was still there. You know, it was just a but the room was full of, like, you know, Star Wars merchandise and stuff. And uh, But it just totally blew my mind just stumbling into that. It was... Uh, you know, I mean, it sounds lame, but it was great at the time. I was just geeking out big time on that. Yeah, I definitely think that, you know, uh, much like uh, Seattle or, you know, Paris, I mean, <clears throat> Disneyland was kind of built on the bones of its own previous generations. And there's there's lots of little areas that you can go into and see. Uh, you know, I remember going into the areas when they were doing kind of construction on Buzz and getting to see, you know, the... Um, uh, the the 360 theater and some of the, the things that are kind of still there if you see you know particular remnants of it so I, I definitely think that it's uh, it's it's when you look for those things kind of like uh, the bears um, you know the uh, the bus that are still up in the Winnie the Pooh ride that they've kept uh, Buff and Max and Buford I, I uh, that's one of yeah, those. Melvin. <laughs> and Melvin, yeah. Max Bluff and Melvin, yeah. Uh, hey, I got two out of three for my memory level is actually pretty good right now. It's uh, <laughs> it's a pretty it's a pretty thin cord that I'm hanging on to for my memory. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's things <laughs> like that that I think are great that they've preserved some of the um, the prior generations in what they're doing, so that there is that sense of connection to the past. Yeah, there's it's lore and it's it's kind of it's kind of magical. I mean, I'll say it, you know, it is. Hey, do you remember? Um, do, you remember do you remember who your trainer was? On uh, what? On Jungle? Yeah, on Jungle. Jungle was it was Doug DeWitt. Doug DeWitt was my trainer, and he was a new trainer, and then he went on to be a lead, and everything. He was really, really well liked. Uh, I mean, I say was, but I mean, I'm sure he still is. You know, wherever he's at and what he's doing, but uh, yeah, he was a great guy, and he trained me on Jungle. He was very patient and uh, just real easy, mellow, you know, mellow, easygoing guy. Did uh, did you take um, to it like sure. a duck to water? I mean, was it? Uh... Oh yeah, yeah, I loved it. I was great. I was yeah, I was way into it. Probably too much, you know. But I mean, like you know, you get in when you first start, you just think like you're gonna pour your heart and soul into every trip that you make, you know, and and then you realize, wow, I'm burning out pretty fast. <laughs> now, was there a big transition? Was there a big transition for you when you went? from uh, ride operator when you started doing more training and then eventually lead what was what was kind of your feeling about the 
the transition? Because I've, I've talked to a lot of people who do that, and they kind of feel like by necessity they have to separate themselves from the social group that they were part of to have a little bit of a, a buffer between the, the other people that are working there. Um, what was your experience when you when you shifted from just straight ride operator trainer and then to lead? Yeah, that's completely it. You nailed it. And uh, Chris Lambert, when I was listening to your show with Chris, uh, he said the same thing. Yeah, I mean, it was for me. It, it definitely started to suck the fun out of it because on one hand it was on one hand it was great because you know I'm making a little bit more, which was very important to me because you know I was just I mean I was essentially living paycheck to paycheck and socking a little bit away. But, you know, it wasn't what you'd call like a proper living. And um, so I was happy to, you know, get these these sort of uh, advancements, you know, handed to me. Uh, so I was happy to take these because they, they kind of helped my income a little bit more. But on the other hand, the, the fun aspect of the job really uh, kind of took a nosedive uh, when suddenly you're in charge of, of uh, people. And, you know, training, not so much. It wasn't that big of a deal because... You know, they'd hand you a couple of guys. So when you train, you always had two guys. I don't know how they do it now, but it was always two. So mm-hmm. you'd be training two two guys at once. And that was it. You were kind of left to do your own thing. Nobody was really watching you. Lead wasn't watching you. Management wasn't watching you. They, they just was, it was kind of like, get these guys trained, you know, and make sure it's SOP. And, you know, you'd come back and let the lead know, uh, hey, we got to take a boat out or blah, 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 you know. But we're going to lunch, that kind of thing. And it was like, yeah, fine. You know, they wave you off. You're not in a proper rotation or anything like that. So you're coming and going as you please. You're a free agent, and it's a lot of fun. And, um, you know, as long as you get the job done and these guys know how to work jungle at the end of it, you can pretty much do do it however you want. You know, they just want results, which is, you know, get somebody trained. But when you're, when you're suddenly made a lead, uh, for me, it, it kind of threw me into the fire, and, I you know, I accepted. I could have declined, but I was, you know, I was kind of like, yeah, I'll do it if you feel like I'm ready. But it was like a month after I was made trainer, they made me a lead on jungle. And um, I don't remember why there was something that come up, or suddenly there was a there was a hole to fill, or something like that. And they said, "Well, you know, the managers at the time said, uh, well, we want to make you a lead on jungle.'" And I'm like, "Well, uh, okay, sure." And I totally wasn't prepared for it because I had never led people in my life, mm-hmm. and um, so I knew the ride inside out. I knew the ride really well, but suddenly that wasn't enough. It was, you know, it was suddenly your this ride by nature attracts a bunch of goofballs. But, you know, suddenly you're in charge of all these goofballs. So it's like you want to keep it fun, but you got to get stuff done and you got to follow these, you know, these rules that are set in place because, you know, what rolls downhill and uh, somebody's going to be breathing down my neck. And so I got to make sure, you know, so and so's, you know, doing the right thing or, or whatever. And um, it's tough. It was, I had no experience in leading people. And that was a big, I want to say it was, an, it was kind of a shock for me, you know, like, wow, man, suddenly, you know, you realize you can't make everybody happy all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, you kind of have to learn how to have that diplomatic touch, which I don't know that I ever really got. I don't know that I ever really mastered that. People like Doug DeWitt, I think of him, he was the master. I mean, he was, and there were others that really could kind of walk both sides. For me, it was um, it was tough, you know, to, uh, to kind of be uh, the fun guy, but then also be in charge at the same time. And I, I think I, I, I figured out how to do it later on. By the time I was a lead on Thunder and stuff, it was it was no problem. But Jungle's different. Because you're on water, it just seems like there's, it, there's just more potential for chaos. Yeah. yeah. The ride's all, always popular, especially in the summer. There was just always a line. And, you know, you have, and it, it was new guys, you know, they were all, it was a huge crew, and then they, a lot of them were brand new. And a lot of them, and they were all goofballs, and myself included, you know. But uh, I had to hang out on the shelf and kind of 
be in charge for for the ten dollars and seventy six cents an hour. And uh, it was tough, man. Summer '93, I worked my career off just trying to find the balance, and uh, just seemed like it was those first few weeks of doing that was really nuts. There was just a lot of derailments, and the people falling in, and skippers just goofing off and doing things they shouldn't do, and uh, you know, just trying to figure it all out, figure out how to keep this whole thing afloat. Yeah, it kind of gives you a different uh, set of glasses to to see the ride with. Because um, when you look yeah. at it as a guest, obviously it's one thing. When you look at it as an RO, it's different. When you look at it as a trainer, you start, kind of start peeling back the layers to the point when you get to to a lead status, uh, and you really get to see a different depth of it than you did when you were just a ride operator. There we go, everyone. The first half of our chat with Skipper Matt Liker. We'll be back in two weeks with the second half of our uh, talk with him and more great stories. For now, we'll see you all in the jungle.